Hello, and welcome to the final episode of season one of Beneath the Surface. I'm your host, Tamara Winter. Over the course of six episodes, we've traveled the world from London to Lusaka, from the Salton Sea to Singapore, and talked to infrastructure experts and visionaries who are all working to find creative solutions to some of the biggest problems facing their communities and the world. So it's not surprising that, well, we have a lot more information than could fit into the episodes we made. So today I'm sitting down with my friend and colleague, Everett Katigbak. He's the series producer for Beneath the Surface. You might remember him from episode two when we visited his family's plot of land near California's Salton Sea. Together, we revisited each episode, discussing some of the clips, characters, and stories that got left on the cutting room floor. We also got to talking about some of the big themes and episode ideas that we've been sitting on. Ones that might make for an interesting season two, possibly a video spinoff. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. For now, I hope you enjoy this look beneath the surface of Beneath the Surface. Well, today we're back in the studio talking about some of our highlights and lowlights and all the interesting things in between uh, our experiences in producing Beneath the Surface. Uh, Tammy just tracked the final episode, and now we're just kind of reflecting on some of our learnings from it. I also wonder how many times we can say Beneath the Surface in this conversation. So um, take a shot of oat milk every time. So Tammy, obviously we've learned a lot through digging into these various topics, but maybe we can start at the top. You know, the first episode was very close to you, near and dear, and you have a lot of firsthand experience. What what has happened in Zambia, or what have we kind of just learned in, in Lusaka and in Kwashi um, since we launched that first episode? I think what was particularly exciting about that episode, and I think for a lot of this series, is that the stuff that we talked about is happening in real time, and that is very much the case with Nkwashi. So actually this week, as we speak and sit here in San Francisco, Muya and several other entrepreneurs are hosting the African Union, and they are talking about just interesting ideas around trade and development and economic growth. And so I'm sad we couldn't be there, but Nkwashi itself too, it's amazing to see People move in, the residents of Nkwashi starting to kind of identify with the city and post about it. I think one of the things that was particularly interesting about that episode is that there's like a growth story within a growth story within a growth story. So we're talking about a city in Zambia. And then beyond that, we're also talking about like what it hopes to enable, which is like a really robust and flourishing technological ecosystem. So since that episode, Nkwashi's grown. There are, it seems like new interesting companies popping up, not just in Zambia, but around uh, across the continent, like every five minutes. So I'm just, I'm optimistic. You know, it was really great kind of going from a place like Zambia and Nkwashi and then kind of bringing that somewhat closer to home. You know, obviously Salton Sea was, was really kind of personal for me, but the most kind of exciting moment that I had there was actually kind of spending time in Slab City and East Jesus and getting to meet a lot of the the people that kind of live off the grid there. And actually kind of realizing ultimately infrastructure is about supporting people. It's the thing that kind of supports a lot of these different communities and, and lifestyles. 
more broadly, one thing I enjoyed about the Salt and Sea episode, I think we could probably do a whole series on places that were and then are now starting to come back. I mean, I don't know that Salt and Sea was ever on top necessarily, but it's pretty striking that it went from being sort of the next Palm Springs to like a, a an asthma machine. And so, um, yeah, that, that could probably be its own series. Yeah, that was, it was interesting when, when we were there. Um, I actually do recall quite a few um, like luxury cars, like Audis and, and BMWs driving around and exploring the area. And I can't tell if they were just, you know, kind of extending their Palm Desert and a vacay or if they were genuinely looking at it from a developer's perspective because land can be had for pennies on the dollar there. But, you know, maybe there is this thought that lithium, you know, is kind of permeating through the community and then people are starting to look at it as more of an investment. So it was really fascinating to see some of that going on. Yeah, and it just seemed like the conversation around Salt and Sea is very much live. So I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm interested to see how GM kind of makes good on its commitment to have all electric vehicles by 2035. I'm interested to see what Tesla does there, what Ford does there. It's going to be a place to watch, particularly if the controlled thermal resources team can manage to make a breakthrough with the way that lithium is extracted. You'll hear me say this a lot this episode. I'm just very optimistic. Um Supply chains. <laughs> you know, we, we talked a lot about, I think supply chains was probably the first episode that we really knew that we wanted to try and tackle this thing, not only because of how it's been exacerbated um, by COVID, but also because I think the shipping container as a unit of measurement and as a, as a metaphor and a, as an example for efficiency actually gets kind of thrown around quite a bit in the industries and circles that, that we talk about. But just seeing you and Ryan Peterson interact was really fascinating and seeing him kind of naturally dig into some of the storylines and the narratives that we talk about, things like, you know, trade routes, historic trade routes, you know, the, um, the Silk Road and how that was not only responsible for trading of goods, but also this kind of cultural transmission and how that shaped a lot of the peoples. You can almost see it as a cultural gradient throughout broader Asia and, and Eastern Europe continent. So that was, that was really great. I think what was particularly interesting about this episode is that Ryan, it's funny, he's you know running one of the biggest companies in the world that's focused on kind of global trade. You know, despite the size of the company that Ryan is running, he had such a ground floor view of the acute challenges that the U.S. and kind of more specifically California and even more specifically the port of Long Beach were facing. The thought to just like literally go out to the port and talk to some of the union workers uh, mm. and and bring tacos right. <laughs> and, and literally just get people talking about what exactly yeah. was, was keeping people's stuff um, so backed up was interesting. And it turns out that even though that was such a triumphant moment when, when Ryan was able to help uh, the city and really the state get that port up and running, there are still kind of persistent supply chain challenges. Yeah, I, I remember, I think we had to rewrite some of the, the intros and some of the narrative bits to hear, mainly because it was changing so rapidly. And I think when we first conceived the episode, things weren't as congested in the ports. And then ultimately, by the time we recorded, I remember going out to Malibu and seeing this long stretch of backed up cargo ships. And that was something I'd never seen. You know, I, I've seen it in port towns, like maybe Singapore or, or Asia, but never on the California coast. So that was kind of mind-blowing to actually visualize it. A topic like housing, a lot of it was Ben, Ben Southwood. 
I actually thought it was great seeing Ben Southwood in his natural element. When we were out there recently, I got to walk around with Ben, and he's just like a natural encyclopedic kind of a tour guide. Hearing him point out very obscure but also like fascinating things about, you know, look at this building. This brick pattern is because of, of this, and this is how it affects the building structurally. And, you know, going into you know, ancient Rome and Londinium. And this was all within like a three block radius. So I really enjoyed kind of hearing him talk with the Haredi Jews because um, it was just, you know, they were able to kind of speak the same language, but also like from very different perspectives, which was really fascinating. We knew we wanted to do something on housing, but the conversation around housing, why we don't have enough of it, why it's so expensive, for me has gotten just extremely stale. And so it was really nice to see a very interesting community um, and maybe not necessarily the first one that you would think of being on the front lines of, of upzoning and really doing something about the astronomical rises in the cost of housing. So I really enjoyed personally just learning about how Madi and Shmuel and the rest of the community were able to kind of solve their own problem. I guess that is one of the kind of things that changed even in the short time since we launched this episode. I think we're originally looking at it, you know, from a buyer's perspective, looking at the market. But then when you start looking abroad and realizing that even like things like zoning, like these are the things that are really impacting housing costs and and ultimately like what ties the whole series together. I think it goes back to what a lot of things that Ryan Peterson was talking about, like building materials and supply chains are also exacerbating like like, um, housing inventory and things like that. So I think that was one thing that, that I also started to see as the series unfolded was how all of these seemingly disparate topics were, were kind of connected through supply chain and infrastructure, ultimately. One thing I particularly appreciated about that episode was that I think sometimes with infrastructure, it can be such a big topic. It's something that everybody needs, but it also has a ton of different stakeholders, and the costs of infrastructure don't necessarily always present themselves immediately. Yeah, it's really... And it was really great to see, like, I mean, a topic like housing, there's so many different vectors that can influence the, the ways that things like laws and zoning and ultimately building go. And this was a good example of them working with, with the municipalities, local kind of governments to retain the kind of historical sense of the area, but also kind of um, to address their cultural needs. Oh, transit was was a great one. It was actually great to see kind of Tammy exploring her new surroundings out in New York City. Um, you know, in the episode, she started off, you know, being a, a Dallas born and bred um, person, but moving to both places like San Francisco and New York that actually heavily rely on public transit. It was also really fascinating. Again, since since we recorded and, and shipped this episode, um, there's actually been some progress with bullet trains out in the Dallas and the broader Texas area. So I, I'm Woo-hoo! wondering <laughs> wondering how that impacts you and your your relationship with with your kind of home base. Yeah, my sister texted me about that news. She loved the transit <laughs> episode. Um, so I'm from Dallas. My sister is in school in San Antonio right now, and so. Um, she was like extremely excited about the, the the bullet train. And I think people in Texas, I mean, that project has just made a ton of sense for a long time. So Texas, I'm rooting for you. We started the housing episode talking about the fact that I had lived in San Francisco, D.C. and New York and my experiences with renting in each of those cities. But the transit 
one is almost as striking, right? So each of those cities is is very walkable, but the experience of taking transit and getting from point A to point B there is just very different. But I knew that I wanted to do an episode kind of as like a thank you or a love letter or a thanks for welcoming me to New York. So it was really exciting to kind of explore the Upper East Side to see the actual Second Avenue subway line in action. It was just incredible listening to people talk about Japan and London and just other cities. I think what's particularly striking about transit, even though it is extremely difficult, it's multifaceted, there are all different agencies, there are like labor issues, there's like what the public wants and will allow in their backyards. All of these things end up being impediments to transit. Right. And yet some countries and cities still manage to get it done. You know what? One thing that that I observed, even in the the kind of very few times that I've ridden Japanese trains, it it is like quite uh, a user-centric experience. It integrates very well into the landscape. It kind of connects this kind of futurist vision that people have of Tokyo and um, this kind of ancient historic version of Kyoto and, and the broader area. And it's not a destructive process. You know, oftentimes we think of building trains especially in the United States, it means that we have to tear down or retrofit something that's historic, and it does change the landscape and make it look and feel different. But in Tokyo, these layers are able to exist in a way that I think is actually, I don't know, it it preserves their cultural history, but it also kind of projects Japan as this very futuristic and forward-thinking place. Population! I mean, this was the episode that I was most excited about. This is the one I knew I wanted to make, (laughs) no matter if we made any other episode because I don't have any special love for buildings and trains and roads. Like it's all useful insofar as it serves people. I think questions of population are just fascinating. I mean, years ago, I got really interested in birthright trends in the first place and what governments were doing about it. And so you could probably sit for hours and just go down a nonstop list of downright comical things that governments are trying to do to address what they perceive to be the sort of big challenges of of having an aging population. And so it's everything from, you know, we talk about Singapore in the episode. What we don't talk about is like the time that some of their train stations had literal cartoon eggs on the floor, reminding women that they only had like a finite number of eggs to Italy's like fertility day to the classic Australian campaign, 40 is the new 20, except (laughs) if you want to have children. And so I was interested in moving beyond the kind of frankly cringe shaming of of women and and their expanded choices about rearing families and, and to really kind of observe how people make decisions about fertility. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how Singapore kind of uses that lever or, or kind of turns that dial almost the way that, you know, we do here in the States with interest rates and things to kind of really stimulate or catalyze the, the economy because they're trying to envision, you know, 10, 20 years down the road what the the populace is going to do and how they're going to impact all of these things there. And But ultimately, it does come down to like people and human capital as the main driver of economy because that's why we do and make and build the things that we do is ultimately to kind of support and service people and humans' needs. This episode I was both very excited about and that made me kind of uncomfortable because it turns human beings into kind of fungible widgets that you can just kind of like turn on if you need more and turn off if you need fewer. It's the one episode, again, that I was kind of the most excited about going into it. And it's also the one that I have the most questions, regrets, I don't know what you would call that about. There are lots of things within population that are interesting. 
decades ago, South Korea had a gender ratio that was like India's, right? right like right, yeah. a lot more men than women due to a lot of like sex selective abortions, social pressures to have more sons. And today their gender ratio is more like Canada's. How does that happen, right? Like that's a whole story in and of itself. And that right there may be the story of the series. That within every episode, there was a thread that we barely got to pull that could be an entire story in and of itself. It has been such a joy to work on this series, to sit down with climate scientists, population researchers, trained nerds, housing analysts, and city builders, and to reflect on how all our lives are shaped by the infrastructure we build. If there were any questions that came up for you while you were listening to the series, or just to this episode, let us know. The world of infrastructure is vast, and even though we've gone beneath the surface of six facets of it, I feel like in a lot of ways, we've only begun to scratch the surface. So get in touch with us. You can send an email to stripepress at stripe.com, or you can tweet us at at stripepress or at underscore Tamara Winter. Well, you've heard me say it at the end of every episode, but Beneath the Surface is a production of Stripe Press. And since this is the last episode of season one, let me tell you a little bit more about Stripe Press. Our mission is to spread ideas for progress. So we publish books, produce movies, and yes, make podcasts all about people working for progress. One book that we recently released is Pieces of the Action by Vannevar Bush, which was originally published in 1970. For anyone who doesn't know, he's the guy who basically founded the National Science Foundation. This book is his account of working as the architect and administrator of an R&D pipeline that efficiently coordinated the work of civilian scientists and the military during World War II. He was central to catalyzing the development of radar and the proximity fuse, the mass production of penicillin, and the initiation of the Manhattan Project. You can find out more about Stripe Press, the books we publish, the movies we produce, and yes, even the other episodes of this podcast at press.stripe.com. The senior producers for season one of Beneath the Surface are myself and Everett Katigbak. This episode was produced by Jack Rossiter Munley. Whitney Chen was our production manager. Original music for Beneath the Surface was composed by Oribus. Our sound mixer and sound designer was Jim McKee. That's it for this episode. I've been your host, Tamara Winter. This is Beneath the Surface. <laughs>